God, we are grateful um, for your Holy Spirit. It was your Holy Spirit that uh, prompted the board members at Genesis and Pastor Dave to consider what you're asking them to do. It's your Holy Spirit that sustained what they do, and it's your Holy Spirit that even to us here, ordinary men and women and girls and boys, that your ordinary ordinary people that your spirit speaks to to accomplish uh, the great things you have in store for us and through us into this community. And now as we look in your word, uh, give us ears to hear. Pass this on Christ's name. Amen. Hey, uh, we asked the question earlier, what is the pour out your spirit, or the, what brings you joy lately? We asked that question, and um, usually don't uh, tie the question with the sermon, but today I want to, and that's why we asked that question. Because the question kind of at, at least begs you to think, okay, what is joy? What is joy, and where do I get it? Am I supposed to have more of it? What does it feel like when I do have it? And maybe some of you, even the question might have, when I, somebody first asked me this question, it kind of took me aback a second, and I had to think about when the last time I thought I might have experienced joy. And then I got kind of discouraged because I had to think so long about a time when I experienced joy. And some of you may have had that same experience. That's okay, because it's like, maybe we need to bring this back to the forefront. Maybe it's just something we haven't had to the forefront um, that we need to think about. So today, we're, that's the topic, of the, the topic of the day is joy. You know, the opening psalm said, you will uh, fill with joy. We've asked the question, what brings you joy lately? And we're going to now kind of look at what Scripture says about, well, what role should joy play in our lives anyway? Is that just like a hallmark concept? Or is it just joy to the world, the Lord has come? Is it only like at Christmas we sing about joy? Or is joy something quite a bit different than maybe what we think it is? And are we supposed to have more of it? I mean, frankly, when I hear about, when I hear, when I answer this question myself, my, my internal response is, I think I should probably have more join my life. So then my thought is, what's wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? So let's look, we're going to look at the passage today is in John chapter uh, 16. We've been talking about over the last number of weeks, the five chapters in the gospel of John where Jesus, it's Thursday night. I, I put on here Thursday night with Jesus, not like it's a talk show or anything, but it's Thursday night where Jesus, it's the night he was betrayed the night started off with he and the 12 disciples eating the Passover meal. There would have been a rectangular table in the center of the room. It wasn't any, it was just a, it was a house with a room. It wasn't, you know, anything special. There weren't stained glass windows in the room. It was just a typical, traditional Jewish religious meal, like our Thanksgiving meals or Christmas meals, but it was the Passover meal. Um, and they went through the different traditions of the meal. And then Jesus had a lot of things to say that night. I probably did anyway, but this John, who was there, took uh, five chapters to record the conversations and some of the monologue that went on. And we've been spending time looking at some of the things Jesus said, because Jesus knew what was coming next. They didn't know. They were confused. Jesus kept saying things like, I'm going to be gone, and you're not going to see me anymore. And they're like, what are you talking about? We don't know where you're going. So, but Jesus is kind of etching in them kind of his last words. I mean, they weren't his last words because we know he resurrected from the dead and talked to them more. But there was something he was saying that, we, that there's some significant things to capture. So like anything else, when, somebody seem, when somebody's going into their last words, 
there's probably weight to what they're saying. So we've been examining some of those things. So like the last few weeks, we've got to the next one. We've examined things like where Jesus says, you ought to wash one another's feet. That, what does it mean to be serving each other in that way, in a really kind of radical way? He talks about loving one another. I mean, he kept repeating it over. The bottom line is, guys, he's saying to the men there, and I'll say this to the gals, the bottom line is, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to do the hard, hard work of loving others, loving others who are Christians, love one another. He says, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. He repeats that like four times. I mean, maybe more, but John at least recorded it four times because he apparently thought, Jesus must really mean that. If we ask him to pour out his spirit on David Woodcock, then Jesus says, I'll do that. So Jesus says that over and over again. And then the last few weeks, Jesus, uh, we were looking at Jesus talking about, I will send you the advocate. Also, some translations call it the comforter. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. And again, they didn't really know what he meant. They knew there was some kind of religious biblical illusion he was talking about, but they didn't know till what, six weeks later on the day of Pentecost, seven weeks later, oh, this is what he was talking about. But it's all these things where he's, help, he's equipping them to carry out the mission that he began. And so he's equipping us to live life in Bloomington, Indiana in 2011 and to carry out the mission he began. So we're going to look today at uh, John chapter 16. Just a few passages here, so just uh, follow along as I read here. This is, again, this is part of the meal. My guess is they were done with the meal, and Jesus was just talking. They were probably lounging around. Who knows? In a little while, you won't see me anymore. This is Jesus talking. But a, but a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples ask each other, so they're kind of mumbling each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but, when you, but then you will see me? And I'm going to. So they were almost embarrassed to ask him because I think they thought we're supposed to get what he's saying, but we don't. And also, they were, it's okay if you don't understand something God's saying to you. It's okay. And you're like one of the disciples. Well, I don't know. What, and what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. I mean, this is kind of the between themselves, right? Then we, we said Jesus, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, Are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, In a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, now read the next phrase with me, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. All right, read that again. Your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. There's our word of the day, joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought, I'm not sure how that got cut off, but must have cut off. Uh, she has brought a new baby into the world. All right? <laughs> Next one. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will do what? Rejoice. And read this with me. No one can rob you of that joy. All right? Jesus is kind of on a joy thing right now. All right? After that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly. He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name. This is another one of his themes. And you will receive, and what? Read it out with me. And you will have abundant joy. All right? So Jesus seems to be a little obsessed with talking about joy at this point in the meal. Go to the next slide. So, of course, the phrase we're going to look at is, you will have abundant joy. Some of, your, some of the versions of the Bible will say your joy will be complete. But the, the word is it will be full. It will be completely fleshed out. 
Now, here's some other things, other phrases he's talked about joy. We read some of these just now, and a few of them appeared in the chapters before and the chapters after. These are all Thursday night phrases, all right? He talks about being filled with joy, about us, the disciples. Your joy will overflow. Your grief will suddenly turn to joy, wonderful joy. He says, no one can rob you of the joy. And then in John 17, which is when he's praying to the Father then right before he's betrayed, he's praying that his followers, us, will be filled with his joy, that the joy of Jesus would fill us. All right? So we have this joy thing going on here. And it seems like it's really important to Jesus that we, be, we understand that he wants to fill us with joy, abundant joy. So therefore, the question on the next slide, the question we've asked is what brings you joy lately? All right? And here's the question I'll ask from that. Go to the next click here. All right. If you had a joy meter, like you have a gas fuel gauge in your car, and you would assess the last month of your life, where might you put the orange needle? Are you full of joy? Three-fourths, one-half? Oh, no, go back, go back. Th uh, go back to the, the, the gauge there, my gas gauge. Are you three-fourths? Are you one-half? Are you one-fourth? Seriously, don't answer out loud, but seriously, where would you place, are you full of joy? Are you overflowing with joy? I mean, overflowing would be like past the F and the gas, you know, the joy is coming out the tank. Or if you're honest, most of us would probably say, well, we'd be good if we're on the other side of half, but we're probably, you know, I don't know. Here's another question. What would those who live with you say your joy level is? That's the real honest question. What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? What would your parents say? What's your level of joy? And again, the question, okay, why does that matter? Or what is joy? Now, uh, joy is not the same as happiness. All right, we're not talking about happiness. Joy is not the same as pleasure. Because um, the Apostle Paul, in one sense, in one situation, was in prison and he was writing about being joyful. Now, he was probably not happy, nor was he experiencing pleasure at that moment, but yet he was joyful. Right? There's a lot of times you can be happy, but not joyful, and there's a lot of things you can have pleasure in. There's a lot of really dark, evil things you can take pleasure in, but it's not driven by or accompanied by joy. So joy is not happiness. I mean, they can go together, but joy is not happiness, it's not pleasure, it's something different that seems to be at work or that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about just giddy, happy people. He's not talking about Christians that always have this, what I call the plastic Jesus smile on their face. Hey, I'm happy, yeah. You know. But he's talking about joy. And again, I'll just throw out the question one more time. Where's your meter? And should it always be on full? I mean, Jesus seemed to think that the, it would be full. And if it's not full, where do I get more? Is there like a Joy gas station? I mean, are the prices going up? Whatever. I mean, <laughs> seriously, where, where do I get it? I mean, this, these are questions I've asked. You know, if I'm feeling depressed, discouraged, down for the day or whatever, is that because, of, is, is there a lack of joy going on here? What's going on? Because again, Jesus, just from the passage we read, it seemed like, he was kind of pretty confident that, hey, you're going, to have, you're going to be full of joy, overflowing with joy. Nobody can take it from you. There's no holes in the gas tank. 
And in that overflow of the joy, we were going to be kind of pouring life into others. And again, my guess is if we're honest, the best of us here might say a half tank, and that's only if you've had your Starbucks that day, you know, kind of thing. So what brings you joy lately? It's, you know, uh, think about all the times in Scripture where, you know, the Psalms are full of, if you just search on the word joy, it shows up all over the place in the Psalms. It shows up all over the place in the Bible. Joy, 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 joy. I mean, there was a song when I was a kid. Maybe some of you grew up in a church where you've, there's a song that went, uh, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. How many people know that song? And they got, where? Down in my heart. Where? All right. Yeah, we won't sing that right now, but no. But think now. Think now. Now the now the songs have the joy down in my heart, and then we say, somewhat skeptically, but where? I, it's, I don't always feel it there. I'm not sure I feel. Is joy a feeling? Is it an emotion? Is it something we can conjure up? I will be joyful. Will be joyful. Will be joyful. Because it seems like what Jesus is saying that the joy is something that He asked the Father to give us the joy of Jesus. So it's something that comes from outside of us. You can't conjure it up. You can be an obstacle to it. I think we can do things that block the joy of God pouring in our lives. And we can do things that cultivate an openness to that, but we can't, we can't open up the joy tank. Now, I'm going to ask one more, another question here that's related to this, but I think it's related in a way that at first you're going to be like, how does that relate it? But it is, all right? What brings you joy lately is number one. Here's the next question. What brings you sadness lately? Sorrow is another word. Just stop for a second. Close your eyes if you have to. What, what, what would you say in the last year of your life, 10 years of your life, 20 years, that's something that's sad about your life? Not like poor me, but just sad. Something, something where you've had sorrow in your life. And if you haven't had it, then you're really special. And you're not ordinary, so you don't belong here anymore. All of us have had sorrows or sadness. Our, life, our lives have not turned out in the exact way we thought they would. Life isn't perfect. So there's sorrow, there's sadness. On the extreme, we have things like the Holocaust happening. You know, life isn't always joyful. There's a, one of the survivors of the Holocaust, actually, a guy named Elie Wiesel, a Jewish man. Some of you may have read some of his books. They're really kind of haunting in such a way. But one of his quotes is, there are two things that pierce the human soul, joy and sadness, pain and pleasure. And I thought, when you think about that, what are the things that kind of hit you most deeply in your soul is deep sorrow and pain or deep joy and pleasure. So if those are the two things that pierce into our soul, maybe there's some relationship between the two. And it seems like Jesus, when he's talking about you will have sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Like sorrow is like part of the process to get to joy. He didn't say your sorrow is going to be replaced with joy and you won't have any problem anymore, but your sorrow will turn into, kind of morph into joy. So it's like, okay, sorrow and joy somehow come from the same place for hearts. Now think about the Old Testament and the Old Testament stories. I mean, when David, being chased around by Saul... He's sick and tired, he's discouraged, he's depressed, he's weary. But then he talks about his sorrow being turned into joy. Think about the Jewish people who were in exile in Babylon, way from the, you know, and then God's prophetic word through Isaiah and other prophets would say, 
I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy, your mourning into dancing. So it sounds as if, you look at other themes, and when Jesus is saying here about you're going to be sad and grief and full of sorrow, but it's going to turn into joy, sounds like Jesus is saying you can't experience joy unless you experience sorrow first. Which, at it, it, it first glimpse, sounds kind of mean. Well, you can have joy, but first you're going to get beat up. But I think what he's encouraging us to do is, can you be honest and face the sad issues in your life? Not in a poor me, I'm so depressed, I need this. But uh, this world is not the way God intended it to be. And it's part of our own health spiritually is to be able to acknowledge that. When people say, when something bad happens to somebody and their response is, oh, that's okay. All things work together for God, you know, whatever. All things work together for the good. That's a Bible verse, and it's true, but we often use it as a way to deny pain. That's okay. And it's like, what do you mean it's okay? I, I remember talking to one guy one time whose dad had just died. I said, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And I wanted to say to his face, you're lying to me. You can't be good. Your dad just died. But some, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying we wallow in kind of our sadness and, and let's, you know, if... If we had this question broken into groups, what brings you sadness lately? It could be really hard, but then sometimes it may feel like, okay, we get out of this dark place. But there's times in life where it's okay, and if, I think it's even necessary in a biblically honest sort of way to wrestle with the sorrows of your life. Because that's a, acknowledging that my life is not all that it can be or should be or ought to be. And maybe I need something outside of me to bring restoration and hope to me. Because if, if there's no sorrow and sadness in your life, you don't need Jesus. He doesn't need to fix anything. He doesn't need to heal anything. There's nothing to heal. There's nothing to uh, bring hope to because you don't, you've never kind of got that. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not advocating we all check into therapy this week and figure out our sad stories. But there's times where it's appropriate to kind of face those things if you, if you have lived a life where you've kind of lived that way. There's a, one of my... Uh, how many people have read through the, Chron the Chronicles of Narnia? I've been reading... Uh, it's children's books, but I loved it. I was reading them recently. And uh, there's a story... Uh, Horse and his boy. There's a boy named Shasta who is given this mission supposed to, and ends up saving people. But he really has a hard life. He was adopted by a mean single man and... He was kind of living a sad life. And then he's finally set free, but then he runs in all kinds of hardship and they're trying to get this mission accomplished. And then he gets deserted. He's by himself. And then he finds himself in the woods and he thinks he's being tracked by a lion and he gets scared to death and he's kind of like giving up on life. You know, my life has just been awful. The lion catches up with him, Aslan, Aslan the Christ finger, and he starts talking to the boy. The boy begins to realize this lion's not going to eat me. <laughs> But Shasta's kind of in this weary, sad place. And one of my favorite lines in all of the Chronicles and Arnia books, the Aslan the lion says to Shasta, tell me your sorrows. Tell me your sorrows. And Shasta just kind of says, well, this started with, and he's not whining, but it like started with this man that raised me under that. And he just kind of talks about all the things in life that were really hard and hurtful for him. One of my challenges, some of you would be, um, what would you say to Jesus if he asked you that? If Jesus said, you tell me your sorrows. Not, I'm not encouraging you to whine to Jesus or to groan and gripe. I'm, t I'm encouraging you to be honest. If Jesus were to say to you, hey, tell me your sorrows. What's been hard for you in life? 
Because I think there's a, I, I think there's a strong correlation between your, willing, your ability to experience sorrow and your ability to experience joy. Because sorrow is you're taking an honest look at your life. Things you've brought sorrow to yourself, things others have brought sorrow to you. And Jesus says, you will experience sorrow. He's talking about the cross. And then he tells his disciples, it's going to be turned into wonderful joy. And there's some, but I think we have to start with sorrow. We actually start with both, but you can't leave, you have to leave both in the equation. So uh, go to the next one, and then we're almost done here. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story of uh, the city of Samaria. So this is, uh, what, seven, eight, nine weeks after this, this Thursday night meal. And Philip, one of the uh, followers of Jesus, goes to Samaria, and others are there. But people in Samaria who don't, they're Gentiles. They don't know Jesus, in a sense. They don't know who he is. They don't know the power of God. And then people start getting healed. And it says demons were coming out of people with shrieks. And then it said, after this all happened to the city, so there was great joy in that city. Well, there was great joy in that city because the sorrows that had been plaguing them for life had been removed and healed by Jesus. They'd been restored. So what would it look like for someone to say about your household, your life, hey, so there was great joy in that home. What would Jesus need to do? What kind of healing would he need to bring to the sorrows or the hardships of your life, that then we could say there was great joy in that home. For that matter, that's why you, what would it look like if somebody were to say there was great joy in Bloomington? That's part of the reason we're praying for Bloomington is because we're praying that God will bring healing to places of spiritual sorrow and sadness in Bloomington, places of oppression. So there was great joy in that city. Um, so maybe, maybe this week your challenge is simply to respond to Jesus, even in your own mind, if Jesus were to ask you, hey, tell me your sorrows. Take an honest assessment of kind of where joy is fit into your life. And maybe all you can say to Jesus is, Jesus, pour out your spirit on me. That's the prayer we've been asking you to pray for yourselves this week. Pour out your spirit on me. What's one of the fruit of the spirit? Joy. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy. So if you're asking Jesus, Jesus, would you pour out your spirit on me today? You're inviting him to start going deep inside of you and to open the pathways for greater joy. All right? It's not like a magic trick. He goes to parts of your hearts, parts of your heart that maybe you haven't been to before, but he'll find a place and he'll find that way for joy in your life. Um, we'll finish here with the next one and then we take communion. And we take communion every Sunday because we want to remind ourselves that this is not like, you know, spiritual therapy. It's not positive psychology. It's because Jesus is the one who restores and heals and turns our sorrows into joy, turns our mourning into dancing. And uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, interesting passage about joy. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. This passage blows me away. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. All right? He knew that joy was out there, but he knew in order to ex for him to not only experience joy, but open the floodgates of joy for us, he endured the cross. There was something between him and joy that he had to push through, push through in a pretty major way. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. So when we come to the table like we do every Sunday at Exodus... 
we're coming to the table of Jesus who offers himself to us because of the joy set before him and the joy he knew would be available to us, he endures the cross. So that's why we come with gratitude. We come with thanksgiving because Jesus opened that door for us. So maybe a month from now, three months from now, if somebody says, what brings you joy lately? You might begin thinking about a fuller response, new things that God's done in our life. And that's going to be our prayer, that God will do new things in all of our lives. Here's how we do it in Exodus. We'll, we'll sing a few more songs. As soon as we start singing, uh, you'll be invited up for, you're invited up for, to take communion. We don't dismiss our rows. People just get up, and there'll be somebody each of the uh, main aisles. They'll offer you the bread. You just tear it off. Just tear off a piece. They'll offer you the cup, and the way we did it at Exodus is don't try to drink out of the cup. Just dip it in there. Most people eat it when they're standing up here. Some people take it back to their seat. Either one's fine with us. Um, same time, in the back room, it says prayer over there. There are people there, there to pray for you. And maybe today something's hit a chord with you and you just want somebody to pray that Jesus would pour out a spirit on you, maybe pour out joy on you, knowing that he may do a lot to get there. So you're welcome and invited to do that as well. A lot of people go back there, just, and you can pray, have prayer for other things as well. So you can go back there as well before or after you take communion. So let me pray, and then we'll take Jesus. We are grateful, um, and maybe grateful is too small of a word, um, that for our joy, you endured the cross. And that you said, you told the disciples, and that was meant for us too, that you're, you will fill us with joy. That's what we want. Would you increase our desire and hunger for that? And as we take this bread and this cup, your body and blood, into us, uh, would that be our, our way of saying to you that we're grateful, that we want you to pour more joy into us and we want more of your spirit inside of us? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.